Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a crowd podcast. Europa, Estonia. Still Europa, Estonia. Estonia, Estonia. Uh, mayday, mayday. I realize that the water is coming closer. And I had no other choice than to jump. Estonia, still Europa. Finding myself out in the dark on a ferry that is sinking, understanding that I could die and that I really have to struggle for my life. Estonia, what's going on? Can you reply? No life jackets, no life rafts. The water was coming in behind me. Everything was closing in on me. I got really angry because I felt it was so stupid way to die. More than 800 people are missing, almost certainly dead, after the ferry Estonia sank in a storm off Finland. A Mayday message was sent saying the roll-on, roll-off ferry had developed a severe list in waves up to 30 feet high. Then there was silence. The Estonia is Europe's worst peacetime shipping disaster since the Titanic. In a raging storm in September 1994, the huge ship sank in less than an hour. It all happened so fast that many passengers never made it out of their cabins. Some jumped into the crashing waves. A few climbed into lifeboats, only to die of hypothermia while waiting to be rescued. 852 people lost their lives. To this day, the wreck lies on the ocean floor, a sea grave for hundreds of bodies. What are the chances of finding more people? I think there's not any people alive. In the days after the tragedy, as people mourned, the authorities vowed to leave no stone unturned to find the cause of the sinking. But two years later, they were trying to cover the wreck in concrete. Why? Why have the bodies never been recovered so families can bury their loved ones? It's brutal. It's not uh, humane. Normally, what would we do when we lose somebody? We try to find the bodies. Why have repeated investigations failed to find an answer to what happened? Everyone on board should have been spoken to about what they thought happened or what they saw that night. 
and yet I was never spoken to in any form whatsoever. The more deeper I went with my questions, the more arrogant they were in answering. My name is Stephen Davis. I'm an investigative journalist. An MI6 source of mine told me to look deeper into what happened to the Estonia. He said there was more to it than met the eye. And as I dug into the story, the trail led back to the Cold War and to a time of smuggling, secrets and spies. In the early 1990s, Estonia was fighting for its survival, economically, politically and in security terms. There was a full-fledged operating branch of the KGB in Estonia for many years. In search for the truth, I travelled to Estonia and Sweden to hear from survivors and to meet relatives of the victims. I visited the memorials to those who lost their lives. I spoke with investigators who refused to stop asking questions and with journalists who've been prosecuted for diving to the wreck. Henrik Evertsen and Linus Andersen sent a remote-operated submersible down to the Estonia, the ferry that sank in the Baltic Sea in 1994. This discovery was uh, something that threw completely new light on the whole situation. There are many layers to this story, and over the next eight episodes, we're going to pick them apart. This is the secret history of the Estonia. It's the 27th of September, 1994. The Estonia sits in the port of Tallinn, the country's capital. Symbol of the newly independent nation, the 11-deck cruise ferry has a pub, disco, and swimming pool on board, and room for up to 2,000 people. The weather isn't looking good, storms are expected, but it shouldn't be anything the ship can't handle. The captain is Arvo Andersen. There's also an Estonian captain on board, Arvo Pitt. More on him later. The Estonia is carrying 989 people, families, members of a senior citizens club, a group of Swedish police officers, some evangelical Christians, and nearly 200 crew members, all ready for the overnight crossing to Stockholm. 20-year-old Sara Hedranius has spent a couple of weeks in Estonia visiting her father. She's catching the ferry back to Sweden, so her dad drives her to the terminal. It was 1994, but we had this old-fashioned mobile phone in his car. So he took up the phone and he let me call my mom. Uh, and I didn't want that because I knew she was really scared of me going over the Baltic Sea in the stormy weather. And you called your mom? I did. What did she say? She was worried. And I laughed and said, I, I'm just passing the Baltic Sea, it's nothing. One of the only Britons on board is Paul Barney. He's on an environmental research trip. I was lucky enough to receive a Winston Churchill Memorial Fellowship, Travel Fellowship. And I had a few days at the end of this Travel Fellowship and I thought I'd use it to go to Estonia and uh, obviously returned on the fateful night. Anders Eriksson is travelling with a colleague who'd been given a trip to Tallinn as part of a work deal. All was included, so why not? There was quite interesting because Estonia was newly free from the Soviet Union and so on. 
We went on, on board one hour before the departure, I think. And at that stage, I think the weather wasn't looking very good. It started blowing quite uh, hard, so we was uh, prepared that uh, there will be some jumpy road out there. I was a student still at that time, traveling, and of course I always uh, try to travel as cheap as possible. This is Carl Eric Weintam, at the time 26 years old. He's a frequent traveller on ferries like the Estonia. He's crossed the Baltic many times before. This time I had a bed in a cabin that I would share with someone that I would uh, not know who that would be. There were four beds in the cabin and it was under car deck, so it was the lowest you can get on a ferry like that. Everyone's on board, but there's a delay of some kind. Sara heads out on deck to see if she can wave to her dad. The first thing I saw was a man sitting, reading a newspaper, and I paid attention to that because it was really strange. He was reading a newspaper in in the rain and the wind. It didn't make sense to sit there. I couldn't see my father, but when I was looking for him, I noticed there was uh, transport uh, coming in very high speed. And when they came closer, I could see there was military transport, and they were escorted by motorbikes on the sides and they were traveling really fast so I, I was and I understood that okay this is why we are late we were waiting for the transport and you had a clear view and they were military transport yes it was very clear for me that it was military transport and that's another thing why I remember it because it didn't make sense to have a military transport on a passenger ship with the last minute vehicles now loaded onto the car deck the Estonia sets sail at around 7pm local time. As it leaves Tallinn port, there's nothing ahead except for the formidable Baltic Sea and a growing storm. The weather conditions aren't making for an easy crossing and the group that Anders has joined for dinner are starting to get edgy. Four women from the pharmacy company, they were quite uh, uncomfortable. Think of Jan Hevelius, was one of the women said. Jan Hevelius, a fairy disaster in a stormy Baltic, only a year earlier. It claimed 55 lives. You can see why they were feeling nervous. For Paul, it's the maze-like design of the ship that's concerning him. Even though I'd been on the ferry before, I still didn't manage to get to grips with the layout at all, which was very strange and disorientating. The uh, cabins on the Estonia were below the car deck and very claustrophobic, so I hadn't booked on the way over to Estonia. And on the way back, I decided I might try and and book a cabin just for the night. And uh, they informed me that there was a berth available in a cabin of, of six, I think they were and uh, changed my mind at the last moment, which is probably one of my better decisions. The weather's getting worse. Anders calls it a night and heads to his cabin. I couldn't sleep, actually. It started to punch harder when they come out in the open sea. I tried to go to sleep and I was in my bed and I saw on the window that on that they splashed outside the window and then I looked out there was a 
like uh, looking down in a in a valley and the boom so that was terribly hard actually Paul's decided to try and sleep in the restaurant it was noticeably rough at that stage and I made my way up to the restaurant which was closed by that point and bedded down for the evening and I do remember quite clearly having to hold on to the bench so if you can imagine a, a long sort of bench with, with a long vinyl cushion I, I tried to push my arm down between the, the back and the seat to try and stabilise myself so I didn't fall out and, uh, and I did manage to actually get some sleep A few other people have had the same idea as Paul including Sarah I was 20 at the time and I didn't have so much money and uh, I didn't want to have a sheep cabin where I had to, you know, share with other people. So I decided to sleep on a sofa in the cafeteria at deck uh, five. It was really bumpy and the waves started to get higher and higher. Were you worried at that stage? No, I was not worried at all. Just young and didn't think anything could happen to you? No, exactly. Carl Eric is in a shared cabin. He's underneath the car deck. Initially, it looks like he'll have the place to himself, but then two guys show up. It's a slightly confusing situation. It seems like one of the guys doesn't have enough money for a ticket. Carl Eric says it's fine if they both want to stay there. After all, the beds are empty. They thank him and drop off their bags. And then they left. Okay, so I finished my book. Uh, I fell asleep, and in the middle of the night I hear that someone is trying to open the door and not managing with the key somehow. So I opened the door and that was this other uh, gentleman. I mean, we did not say anything. I just opened the door, went back to bed, and he probably took off his shoes and he had only a plastic bag or something like that, and and he jumped up on the bed on the other side. Uh, and, uh, And then the room started to stink. And uh, I was thinking, okay, oh gosh, I have to wait now and try to fall asleep, nevertheless. So I put the blanket over my nose and was thinking, ah, I have to fall asleep. And then everything started. Around 12 o'clock, a few minutes after 12, there was two heavy bangs. I was woken up by a, a sort of a bang. I woke up, it was a big bang. Not an explosive, not an explosive bang, more a sort of metallic bang. Metallic, really metallic. It sounded like as if the ferry would have driven on ice, which I knew that there would not be. Like the, the ship was shaking, and my immediate thought was that we hit the ground. I fell out of my bed and uh, was thinking about the John Hevelius and what the women said. And then the motor started to make strange sounds. And, and then immediately my bed was uh, tilting. And it was not like this, that it tilted to the right and back to the left and then stayed uh, uh, on the ordinary position, but it stayed like tilted. And this was something, I mean, enough for me, having traveled so many times, that this is not normal. So this made me run. And I think this is like a natural instinct and nothing else, I mean. So I just ran out of the cabin 
without thinking anything more that this is so totally wrong and then around the corner and then I got to the stairs and there I saw like a lot of water like pouring there and and it was like uh, like a flood of water and as the ferry was tilting then the water was along along a wall because uh, it was tilting to that side and then I was thinking shouldn't I return to the cabin to this uh, and I was looking at the water, it was coming in so quickly and I understood immediately this, that this is sea water. And I understood that uh, this is too risky and I, I thought that, but he just came, he cannot have fallen asleep immediately. And uh, so I ran further up. But I had this like, some seconds there thinking, what should I do now? Water coming, did this guy really see anything, understand anything, notice that I ran out? But uh, but no, I, I ran up, and uh, and then I got to. Did you ever see him again, the guy? No, and I'm quite sure that he did not survive. Anders is on a deck above Karl Eric. He's been thrown out of bed by the extreme tilting of the ship. He knows it's bad. He has to get out of his cabin. So I went to the middle corridor and um, the ship was tilting a little so I started go up the stairs to the fifth floor and when I'm on on the first stair up to the sixth floor the boat start shaking so to say and and start tilting and it started didn't stop and I I can't this can't be normal I must get out now must get out I started hearing the crashes from the bottle shop and all that, and there was a coffee machine coming uh, in front of me, sliding down, and poof, in the wall. I ran up to the seventh floor, seventh deck, and then people had started coming in from the corridors. But I think I was one of the first people to the door out on the seventh deck. Sau had initially thought the banging was the ship hitting the ground. But that didn't really make sense. They'd been sailing for hours by now. And I, I understood quite quickly that we were not hitting a ground because it was black outside. And that means we should be somewhere in the middle of the sea. And you can't hit a rock there. I thought at the time that the engine stopped because it felt like that the ship was drifting in the sea. And uh, that alarmed me a lot. I grabbed my passport and my wallet and then I started to get out. And at this time, the, the ferry was continuing to tilt to one side. Mm, the lists get worse and worse, but it was from the beginning I could move, but I had to hold on to something all the time. I didn't want to let go of the, uh, the furniture and things that were stuck to the floor. And that meant it was quite difficult for me to climb. So I had to let go of my wallet and my passport. I was really, really stressed and I was really focused also because my intention was to go as far up as I could and out. Did you pass any people? What was? Did you see anybody when you yeah. were moving? Yeah, I saw people. Uh, the first was a man that was falling down just in front of me and he was like bleeding from his head. So I tried to make contact with him and, and see how he was doing but it was not possible. And then I was thinking, what can I do now? I can't carry him anyway. I find out that, so I left him. And then I started to think and, and say to myself that I knew I was really stressed, but I said to myself, I should not expect to have help from others because 
they are as stressed as I am. I ran upwards and then I got, I mean, it ends somewhere uh, just like that. And then you have to open a door. And uh, this was probably the fourth floor. And that was a floor with uh, better cabins. Carl Eric has left his cabin in nothing but his boxer shorts. He's having to find his way through the maze of corridors that Paul mentioned earlier. Then when I was running on the fourth floor, people had already, some people had opened their cabin doors and someone was asking in Swedish what is happening. And I answered uh, while running that the uh, ship is taking in water. And then I got to the seventh floor and, uh, and suddenly I had just in front of me two uh, young men in uh, some kind of uh, uh, uniforms. So they were obviously working uh, at the ferry and they asked me, uh, what is happening? And I told them, the ferry is taking in water. I mean, this is not what you want to hear. You don't want to hear that uh, the staff that uh, has a walkie-talkie in their hands and should have all the information, that they ask you what is happening. So this was really bad information, I mean, for me. Bad news. I saw there was a man and I understood he was belonging to the crew. And he said that uh, they wanted him to go back down further down in the ship again. But he said that he will never go back because there's full of water there. At that stage, you must have been clear that you were sinking. Yes. I thought about that uh, from the very beginning, I guess, when I started to get out from the cafeteria. By this time, the tilt, or less to give it its technical term, is getting severe. If you can imagine, the ship is essentially falling on its side. So the floor is now at a steep angle. And remember, there's also a Force 9 gale outside, with the ship being buffeted by huge waves. Paul's still in the restaurant. There was a girl who'd been sleeping across the aisle, I remember, who turned out to be Sarah, and she fled the restaurant and disappeared into the ship, and which was something, as I mentioned earlier, I couldn't do because I just didn't feel as though I knew the ship well enough to find my way around, and that to go into that sort of uh, maze of corridors would be a fatal mistake. Things were crashing around because obviously the things weren't battened down and um, I was actually cut by glass at that point, I remember. Probably ashtrays smashing um, on the tables and the furniture starting to go. Also the lights had started to go so we had a period of darkness before the second generator came in and then uh, there was people in the restaurant who weren't moving like statues and I was talking to a, um, an Estonian guy and uh, saying like how long are we actually going to survive in this water if we end up in the water and he said four minutes I asked him why these people who are like statues don't do anything he just said don't just don't think about it and they obviously had just drowned in front of our eyes effectively Apart from the adrenaline, I felt anger because uh, it was just the fact that I was just generally angry about the fact that my life was theoretically coming to an end at this point. And I was sort of uh, uh, into blaspheming. And I don't know why I was blaming God at that point, but uh, it just seemed like crazy that there didn't seem many options because there's no life jackets, no life rafts at that exit from the restaurant. Carl Eric, who had run up from his cabin right below the car deck, is one of the first people onto the outer deck. And there was this wet, cold wind, you know, catching me. I mean, this was uh, not a nice feeling. 
and uh, and then I I open like the door from the left to the right, and the easiest thing to do would uh, be to go to the left, but I went behind the door, and I stayed there behind the door with a wall behind my back, and I was looking, you know, out in the sea. I saw that there were some kind of like two ferries or something like that in uh, far away, and I thought. I really hope that the ferry will stay uh, on the water till the help reaches us. You've got the tilting ferry, yeah. you've got your freezing cold, yeah. you, you're, you're there in your boxes, mm. the, the experts are, can't tell you what to do. Mm. What was going through your head? I was thinking, I mean, I'm only 26, I have not lived my life. This was not begging to God, but I was like angry on God that I'm in a situation like this that I have not lived my life and uh, I understood that this is, you know, a question of life. So I decided that I would at least do everything in my power to survive, that I would not give up just like that. And then I looked in front of me and I saw that a box of life west uh, was open in front of me there. And I went there, I took out uh, life west and then, then I understood that um, while I took it, the wind was so strong. And I think the first one just flew away in the wind. And I saw that there was a life uh, boat over my head. And I decided that now I will have to climb up there. And that's the point when I'm looking into the water. Carl Eric doesn't realize it at this moment, but what catches his eye here may be crucially important to this investigation. I got to the railing and I looked into the water and that's where I see something strange. Something strange uh, that moves from where I'm looking, like from the right to the left, and it's moving like slowly and the water is like uh, a smaller waves are like going over it and it, uh, and it, it like disappears like but it is slowly slowly but at that point I had someone coming suddenly an Estonian girl and she started to speak with me so that took my attention. We'll return to the strange object Carl Eric sees in the water later in the series. On another part of the ship Anders has also made it out. So I went to the uh, little cabin there on the deck where there were life vests so I started to uh, throw them to people. Yeah, I threw, uh, I think, 15, 20 life vests. But then there was a lot of people coming out and I felt my, I, this is not so much room. I would like to have space for myself. You felt crowded in? Yes, exactly. And while you were throwing the life, how far had the ferry tilted? I think uh, 25. 30 degrees, that's quite a lot. After a while, that was for, uh, about 45 degrees. You had one foot on the deck and one foot on the wall, actually. And people was climbing on the construction for the lifeboats and tried to uh, release them. Okay. Yes. Were they succeeding? Yeah, was it yes, difficult? Yes, I think someone took the, the case and the life raft was starting blowing up and the wind took it. That, at that time, people were panicked, of course. The ferry continues to tilt dangerously towards the sea. 
people are now having to hang off the fixtures and fittings to avoid falling into the abyss. Paul and an Estonian passenger are wedged in a doorframe. It was dark and then light. I think the backup generator kicked in. And then at that point, the doors actually fell off the, their fixings. It fell off almost sideways in my brain. And then suddenly my brain then realised that doors can't fall off sideways, they fall vertical. There was an announcement on the radio, on, on the intercom in Estonian saying, it's an emergency, it's an emergency, which the Estonian guy translated for me. And I do remember remarking to him, well, <laughs> I think it's fairly obvious that it's an emergency. I moved outside with the Estonian guy onto some uh, steps. Uh, obviously the ship was, you know, was at some point between 75 and 90 degrees at this point. The promenade deck itself was now a, a very steep slide into the sea and there was nothing, still no life raft, no life jackets and the uh, suddenly in front of us was a life belt hanging on a, a bulkhead across this, um, which was the promenade deck which had now turned into a treacherous slipway and then uh, suddenly the Estonian guy leapt across this slipway, grabbed the lifebelt and a wave immediately came over the stern of the ship and washed him away. I do remember thinking, blimey I nearly did that. Do you want more crowd podcasts? Let me tell you about the Crowd Stories channel. It's where you can find all of Crowd's documentaries. In one place. And for just £1 a week, they're ad-free. Addictive documentaries like American Vigilante. I'm a monster hunter. It's what I do. And Murder in House 2. I know you know what happened. You want to keep it to yourself, you suit yourself. You're going down. You can binge our groundbreaking audio fiction series, Eliza, a robot story. I have 302 minutes. 34 seconds and two milliseconds to tell this story. And immerse yourself in the stories of death of a rock star. Just search for Crowd Stories on Apple Podcasts. And hit the subscribe button. See you there. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the secret history of the Estonia with me, Stephen Davis. The Estonia is going down. The crew mayday for help. Estonia, Estonia. Uh, mayday, mayday. The nearest ship, the Mariella, is around nine nautical miles away. Estonia, Sili Europa. Are you uh, calling mayday? After receiving the distress signal, the Mariella and other nearby vessels changed course to assist. But they were around an hour away. For now, the Estonia is on its own. Sara has found a route out of the ship, although by now it's a case of looking for the highest point. 
to avoid being swept away. So then I just climbed up and I hold on to the railing and that was the highest point and it was like, you know, getting higher and higher. So I climbed up there and I was hanging on to the right railing and um, I was just watching what was going on on the deck. And there was a man screaming for, for God. And I could see also that some people were trying to fire down the life uh, boats, but it was not possible due because of the list. And it was too early to jump into the sea because it's, I should just, you know, bump into the ship. And so I had to wait. So you actually uh, were able to think about that. I, you know, uh, some people would have panicked and jumped, but you thought to yourself, I've got to wait. Mm. It's too soon to jump into the sea, otherwise I'm just going to hit the side of the ferry. Mm. It was also people screaming that. That's where I had to wait. And, uh, but I could also see people jumping. So some jumped anyway. Mm. Mm. How long did you wait? Well, I wait and then um, I started to uh, think about... I left the ship somehow. I, I started to think about my... I had like a dream that I was home with my parents having dinner and my sister were there and the, you know, the thinking was so... It was almost like I was there actually in the kitchen with my mom and dad. And uh, it felt really comfortable. But then someone was like grabbing onto me and asked me something. And then I, I focused back where I were. And after that I had to really focus where I were because I felt it was really easy to get out in the mind and think about something else. So then I started to move and um, I moved away a little bit because there was also a crowd of people now and there was a fight in the middle of the crowd. There was a man grabbing a chain from uh, another man's neck, like he grabbed it. And I tried to, like, I didn't want to be in that crowd anymore. So I started to move away. Paul has just seen another passenger get taken by a wave. He's on the promenade deck. The lights had gone out and suddenly, as the ship was pretty much 90 degrees, the moon came out from behind one of the clouds and suddenly lit up um, some pipework which was um, had been on the ceiling of the promenade deck and now suddenly manifested itself as a ladder. That sort of uh, seemed like a, an amazing opportunity to uh, go up and out because obviously the frustration of being stuck and not being able to um, do anything to save yourself was very frustrating and suddenly I'd seen this ladder work and effectively this pipework and climbed up and up and up. Um, it's almost as, as I climbed, the water was coming in behind me. It seemed like uh, closing, closing in, everything was closing in on me. And I found myself suddenly on top of the ship, which was obviously lying at 90 degrees on its side, effectively. Everything's almost instinctive at that stage. You're pumped full of adrenaline. So it's almost like you're doing everything without thinking suddenly I was on top and it was like a sudden massive release it was like an emotional release suddenly after this what seemed like an age obviously it seems to me that adrenaline slows time up because your brain is active is speeded up but suddenly I was uh, on the uh, outer hull and alone and there was a, all around me was this raging gale uh, and the moon was still out so it was quite bright I could almost 
see the whole ship laid out in front of me and had this sort of moment of uh, appreciation of where I was. I thought, of all the places in the world, here I am standing in the middle of the Baltic in a force nine, moving on to ten gale, in my socks. And a sort of, sort of moment of appreciation, which seemed bizarre when you think about it, um, to be on a sinking ship and just have time to reflect upon. Like I, I do remember it being like a giant surfboard. So Paul's alone on top of the hull. Sarah, on another part of the ferry, has climbed as far as she can. There was a man screaming and asking someone for help. And he asked if someone strong could come and help him. And he, I could see that he was trying to grab a life raft in a container. They are white containers with, with life rafts. So I, um, I was thinking that it's better to do something than just stay still. So I went there and I tried to help him. And we got it down, actually. And then we started to try to open it, but it was not possible. And it was really difficult. But then he turned to me and he said that his name, he presented himself. And then he asked me if I wanted to cooperate uh, to survive. And I said, yes, I think it was a good suggestion. So what did he say to you exactly? Well, he, he asked, he said, like, his name is Kent Hashtet and uh, he just presented himself like you do normally. And I, I grabbed his hand and I said, my name is Sarah. And of course we can do that. I mean, you say normally, but yeah. to be, I don't know, making introductions on a sinking ship mm. is extraordinary, really, mm. to an outsider. Mm. It was, and I, I thought that at the time, too, so I, I laughed. He was there standing in his suit, and he had, uh, right, it was rainy, and his hair was all wet and all of that. But I realized it was a really good idea, and uh, uh, immediately it felt really good to be two. So we started to discuss uh, what about the next step, what should we do. We realized that we need to again climb up to the railing um, because that was the highest point. And then we discussed whether we should climb over the railing to try to get over on the side of the ship or go the other way to climb over the, the down to the water the other way. But we thought that was more uh, risky. So we headed for the railing. Then there was a woman also sitting on the deck floor and she was screaming and she asked us, uh, she said that she couldn't walk and she said that we had to carry her. And um, that was not possible. So then Kent, he organized, uh, he asked some, there was an injured woman if we could have a life jacket. And finally find a life jacket and we put it on her. And then we continued climbing. It was not easy and then uh, he went up first and then he turned back and tried to help me up and then he asked me if he could invite me for dinner next week in Stockholm <laughs> and that was again like a bit it was very clever of him to do that um, and then I said like okay do you think that we are alive next week and then he said well we need to think that so then I said okay if we are alive then I go to dinner with you we last left Carl Eric after he'd seen the mysterious thing in the water. He and an Estonian girl are now frantically looking around them to see what their options are. We saw that uh, somewhere in the end 
of the ferry that people had were already walking on the side of the ferry. And then we saw that these people, they had like a, a raft with them there. And we decided that we have to get to them. And this was risky because where we were standing, it would be possible that you would fall into the sea. And so we climbed over the reeling and uh, we managed to get to the left. And then in the end, when we, when we were closer to the people over there, we uh, realized that now the side of the ferry where we are is like a floor already, and we could just run on that. So we ran to that raft and the people there. Normally, I know you can't walk on a ship like that. It's impossible. But now the, the ship was lying on the, on its side, so we had to walk over the, the, um, the windows from the cabins, and they were all black. And of course, I knew there were people inside the ship, and it was awful. Did you hear anything from inside? No, it was windy and um, the, the light went off, but there was moonlight that night. So, and the light from the moon was reflecting in the water in front of us. And you were walking on what had been the hull of the ferry, mm. but it was mm. turned on its side. It was side. really slippery. Uh, right at the other end of the ship, there was some, some lights as the last life rafts were being uh, launched. There was a scene to be gathering of a few people. Obviously, the ship is 150 meters long. And uh, I then realized I had to get my wits together again so and get ready to take on the next phase, if you like. And uh, I made my way gingerly, if you like, uh, because these black holes were either, well, they were literally black holes. You didn't know whether you'd disappear forever down in, back into the ship or you'd. Uh, or you would stand on glass, I suppose, but I had to make, be very careful not to disappear back into the ship. So Paul, Sarah and Kaliuk are all separately crawling across the side of the ship in treacherous conditions, trying to get to lifeboats. Anders is nearer to where the lifeboats are, trying to hang on and not get washed away. Kaliuk and the Estonian girl eventually get close to a raft. The problem was this raft was on the ferry. It was not in the water. And this is the point, we got there, we jumped there, there were, and, and we were not the only ones who had seen that people are doing this thing there and have a raft. So probably there were people from different parts of the ferry that had seen it and decided to go there. And immediately when we got there, we heard uh, voices, people saying, we are too many, don't come here. And like this, and this is the point when I closed my eyes, I was thinking that if I die now, so you see, there were points, this is not just like this, okay, I had taken the decision that I would do everything to survive, but this, at this point, when only this raft would be, that was the only thing that I could see uh, that would give a chance to survive, and people were quarreling and so on, then I did not want to see that, and I was thinking that, okay, if uh, now it's, uh, like a turning point and uh, I might survive, I might die, but if I'm dying I don't want to see all this bad, I want to have my death for myself. Finally, the Estonia, now completely on its side and being tossed amongst the waves, sounds the horn. So we heard the signal, like uh, we, we interpreted like it was the signal to abandon the ship. And uh, so we started to move towards the water. And at the same time, the ship also started to change the position again. And one side was deeper into the water. So the water was coming back higher and higher up. 
We could also see that there were some crew members that had managed to bring out some of the life raft. We start, saw that they started to push one of them towards the sea. So we, we decided to, to walk like directly so we could maybe meet up with them in, in, in the sea. And so you, walk, you were walking towards a life raft in the water? Oh, we could see they were pushing it, yeah. so we walked at the same angle, I'd say. We could see there was two women walking just in front of us. I could hear one of them saying to the other, can I hold your hand? So they grabbed each other's hands and then there was a big wave coming up and took them down into the water. So me and Kent, we are stopped and uh, he, they, he... They were swept away? They were swept away. We stopped and Kent, he took off his glasses and he put them in the pocket of his suit. And um, I tried to get in as much air as possible. And then we just walked a few steps more and then a big wave came up and, and dragged us down. Anders has been holding his position under the bridge. He's now standing on what had been a wall. I realised that uh, the water is coming closer when I stood on the wall. And uh, th- when the tilt was more than 90 degrees, I ha- had no other choice than to jump out in the water. It was uh, quite chaos in the water, so it was like you were in a washing machine. Paul has crawled across the full length of the hull, avoiding all the black holes and crevices into the ship. He makes it just as one of the very last lifeboats is being launched. One chap jumped in and I jumped in at the same time as the raft hit the sea and we were in it briefly and then a wave just crashed over us and we were flipped completely upside down. So suddenly it was like trapped again, upside down in in an upturned life raft. Obviously there was cold water shock effectively and then just terror. Coming up on the secret history of the Estonia. I decided that now I have to jump. If I don't jump now, it would probably be too late. People were perishing in front of our eyes. My body just froze and I started like shaking. And by then I didn't know that my mother was on the Estonia, but it's something inside somewhere, I just knew. There is something really, really wrong with this entire uh, handling of the sinking. There was a crime investigation going on and they took the decision to do this in the crime scene. That's not normal. It's like bad science, you know. You can get any result if you want. And if you design the, the study the way you want the result to be. That's bad. It's unacceptable that you do not find the real cause of an accident that costed more than 800 persons' lives. The Secret History of the Estonia is a Crowd Network original. It's presented by me, Stephen Davis, and produced by Samantha Syke. Mixing and sound design is by Rory Auskery. The music we use is from our partners, BMG Production Music. To listen to the entire series ad-free and for exclusive bonus episodes, subscribe to the Crowd Stories channel on the Apple Podcasts app. You can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. If you haven't already, 
Take a listen to the first Secret History series, The Secret History of Flight 149. It's the tale behind how a passenger plane got caught in a war zone, leaving hundreds of people at the mercy of Saddam Hussein. Hear from the human shields who were held hostage in Kuwait, and from those who spent years searching for the truth. Find the secret history of Flight 149 on this feed. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network. A place where you belong.